Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is a unique training app that has well over 5,000 training videos. It's unique because it makes in-home training so simple because the average video is only five minutes, has a lot of breaks, it introduces one new move at a time, has a bright timer, music, the kids love it. They love it, love it, love it. They love it because it doesn't overwhelm them. And even the kids, after they use it for about a month, can see the improvement. And we know this because we're getting a lot of great reviews. Coaches love it because they can see that their players are doing it. Their teams uh, compete on the leaderboard. They set training goals. They can communicate with them right inside the app. It's really cool. So check out anytime-soccer to create a free account and to receive information like this. And now let's get on to the show. So if you recall, over the last couple of days, I did a series of shows where I delve into this um, idea of habit formation. And it can be summarized um, quite shortly as, uh, as dealing with the area of how do people learn? How do people retain knowledge? How do people form habits? That's really what we're getting into. And I went through a lot of theory that's based on my own personal research, my own experiences, and a tiny bit of science. And it must be emphasized that these are just my opinions. I got my PhD on Facebook, my master's of science on Google. So opinion and experience should be in caps and the rest of the stuff should be in lowercase. Part of this, um, part of these series of shows is to provide some content for us to start talking, to dig deeper into these concepts. Um, also entertainment, marketing, that kind of stuff as well. But I do sincerely obviously believe this stuff. And these are things that I have been grappling with for many years and now I'm beginning to share. So I've did all of these shows in theory that I'm gonna to talk to you about. And then, but I was talking to my sons and listening to people on the Facebook group. And I realized, you know what? I haven't really, really in plain language explained why I'm going through this pain of explaining this, giving my opinion on this matter how people learn, how people form habits in such excruciating detail and so abstractly and esoterically. Why am I doing all that? I haven't done a good job of explaining why. Why is this important to me? And why should it be important to you to some degree? So before we jump, jump, jump into why, um, for those who haven't listened to the podcast, I'm gonna try to summarize to the best of my ability uh, those previous shows starting at Habit Formation, but some of the stuff I can't remember myself. So I encourage you to go back and listen to those shows. I'm actually going to do the same myself. But in essence, I, I began with a few assumptions. And one assumption was, hey, you can develop a skill. You can improve neuroplasticity, which is really the connective tissues in the brain linked to the nervous system that drives the uh, motor actions through muscle fibers that you see. You can improve those neural pathways that's linked to that skill. You can improve those by practicing in isolation. And you can also improve them by behaving, for lack of a better word, in a game 
like environment or non-game-like environment or just playing. Either way, you can you can improve those neural pathways by just playing without quote unquote practicing. And you can improve them by uh, practicing in isolation in a way that's not directly linked to any game context. And then the, the first point I wanted to make this a minority point in some circles is neither one of those ways is intrinsically better or intrinsically worse. And which one you decide to do at the time depends a lot on your circumstances, what you're trying to accomplish, the constraints you have, the time you have, and all these other factors. Neither is intrinsically better or intrinsically wor worse. So the first um, reason, I guess you say practical reason, is I wanted to send a um, nod to our parent trainers to say that people will come into your life when they see what you're doing and tell you toe taps don't work, cones don't move. You can do all the ball mastery stuff in the world, all the unopposed ball mastery stuff in the world, but it doesn't apply to the game. They will tell you that you, I, I know these kids, which, you know, again, I'm gonna to get to that on the unicorn show, but I know these kids who spend thousands and thousands of hours doing uh, unopposed um, drills, but they can't apply it in the game. This is what they're gonna tell you. And I'm saying in my opinion, and take it from somebody who has experienced this thing, it doesn't, that's, that's, doesn't work that way. Because when they're in the game, they're gonna conjure on those, uh, that neuro, nervous system. The brain doesn't work that way anyway. They're gonna, they're gonna recall they're going to have to recall the stuff they practice in the backyard and that connective tissue is much more strength strengthened is strengthened or much stronger and uh, and even the brain physically changes to make that motion happen faster it literally changes meaning for lack of a better word it took me uh three seconds to do this recall this uh, i'm using an extreme example because we're talking microseconds so now it takes me one second because the signals in the brain used to make that motion, the brain has figured out if I'm if I use this channel, I'm going to be able to make that motion faster. So in other words, the, 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 the jury is out on that one. Doing something in isolation will translate into the game, even if doing that thing in isolation um, is not done in the game context or not given any game specific instructions. However, when it comes to improving neuroplasticity, especially the application of it, doing these things in concert is much, much better than doing one or the other. I went on to say, you can't ball master yourself to great decision-making and application, and you can't 1v1 yourself to the technical mastery that at least at my older son's age uh, level, both need to be work, need to be done in concert. But at the same time, they're not at the same time, they're not a long, a lot of wrong answers. If you play all the time, you're gonna get better. If you do some training, you're gonna get better. But the, but but putting it all together is common sense and um, intrinsically better. But I do get a lot of comments about, oh, this is common sense. But however, if you in the trenches, you receive a lot of feedback to the contrary. And so we just want to get it on tape saying that's not the case. And I'm gonna try to try to speed this up. But then I go on to say that in a weird way, habit, so then I go on to make a weird point to say, habit formation, as we see it as a sustained behavior in those games, is actually, actually has to be forged 
has to be created in a similar context that you want that habit to manifest itself. So that means that I can verbally tell my sons until I'm blue in the face to check their shoulders. I can verbally tell my sons until I'm blue in, blue in the face when they're dribbling through line cones to look up. But, it's, but the habit of checking their shoulders and, dribbling, and looking up when they're dribbling, it's really not going to be forged until they are in an environment or in a context that requires this behavior and is similar to the environment that they're going to be expected to execute this behavior. That's a, so, so, so then I go on to say, well, what is that environment? Well, in a soccer context, I've gone through the pain of offering some, a framework to help folks think about that environment because we're not together looking at the environment at the same time. So these are some of the things that I recommend people look at. These are some of the things I look at and I just put them in categories. Are there decision-making? And in each, each category, can there are levels to it, right? So if you had to rank it, whatever, whatever um, rubric you decide to use, these are the framework. So in order for something to be game-like, which is then gonna promote the habit that you're gonna expect in the game, it has to have some of these components. Are there decisions that need to be made? Is there opposition? Is there a reward? Is there an objective? I go on to say, is there an idea that in the coach's mind or in the player's mind, is there an idea of something they wanted to accomplish? Um, is there a positive feedback loop, right, for achieving this objective and goal and doing it in the way that the, doing it in, consistently with the behaviors that are expected? And is there a negative feedback loop when those things are not in place? So you're not checking your shoulder, someone takes the ball from you. You are not looking up when you're dribbling, you dribble right into a defender or you miss an obvious pass. Is there a negative feedback loop? And I didn't mention this, but overarching all of that is, is, is it happening in a culture that's high expectations? Is it happening in an intense training environment that's that is similar to the expectation, that similar to the intensity of the game? So the high expectations is what are you expecting in the game? Is it happening in, that, in a culture that has a similar training environment that's similar to the game? And is there uh, a degree of instruction that's happening at those moments? That is what changes behavior. That's what forges habits. And then I go on to say, surely, Neil, I answer the question, surely you need to give instructions. And I say, hey, yes, there's a base level of instructions you need to give any individual when they're doing something, right? Obviously, you know, there's a base level, technical, technical, just, you know, just understanding how to play the game. There's a base level of instructions. And on the other end, other end of the spectrum, I'm not sure about this, but I'm assuming there's a degree of highly specialized instructions that um, need to be given, right? But after you sort of cover the base level of instructions or you covered some of the highly specialized tips that you need to give the player, what I go on to try to argue is after you reach that point, the verbal instructions that you are giving or the child is receiving 
when they're outside of the context that they need to apply it has very limited use and very limited impact on long-term habit formation. I can tell my son until I'm blue in the face to dribble with his head up. And if I don't create the environments uh, and the conditions that warrant that, I might as well be talking to a wall because it's not gonna translate when he's in that game environment in the way that I think. The neuroplasticity that's strengthened with him dribbling will. So if I'm telling him to keep his head up because I want to make the technical drill more challenging, that's fine, right? So I throw tennis balls at my son while they're doing ball mastery in order to make the technical drill of ball mastery more challenging, more fun, more exciting, that's fine. I'm increasing the neuroplasticity. But because people are not throwing ball tennis balls at them in the game, and that's not the decision and the stimulus package that they need, it's just not going to translate into the on-field habits that you typically see. Now, I go on to say, of course, I mean, you can do whatever you want in the sense that it ain't going to hurt them, right? Telling the kid, look, check their shoulder, it ain't going to hurt them. But I shared a video with someone who had a comment about a drill they saw me doing where my son wasn't checking their shoulder. So they saw me do the drill, passing the ball to my son, and he's not checking his shoulder. And they said, Neil, my only feedback is great drill, but my feedback is they should check their shoulder. And then I sent him several clips of my son in actual games where he checks his shoulder at least three to five times before he receives the ball. And he does that almost religiously. So I go on to say, even if I told him don't check your shoulder. Adam, when you're, in the, when, you are, when you're receiving the ball, I don't want you to check your shoulder. Don't check your shoulder. I just want you to focus on kicking the ball to me. Don't check your shoulder. And I constantly tell him that. It's still not going to change the habit of, him, of habit of him checking his shoulder because that's a different context. When he gets into that game context uh, of that training environment that he's been in for six years where they punish you figuratively, for not um, having the vision needed to execute a rondo when people are so close to you, even if he wanted to not check his shoulder, he just can't. It, the cues are over, the senses and the cues and the everything is overpowering him. He cannot. And I go on to say, if that worked, if just if me telling you something outside of the context of the game, if me verbally telling you something that over and over and over again, if that worked, I would record myself saying, Neil, eat the celery, not the donuts. Neil, eat the celery, not the donuts. Neil, eat the celery, not the donuts. And maybe there's some hypnotism going in there. Maybe we'll get some of my mental mind mapping folks on. But that ain't going to work. It don't work that way. Because the food scientists have figured this thing out. They said, oh, if I create this environment, if I create these smell, I create this packaging, I create this context, no matter what you say to yourself, until you change your lifestyle, you're going to eventually give, give in. Habit formation. They figured this thing out. 
And now we are applying this same concept to youth soccer. And I'm up in the morning, so sorry if my, my voice is groggy, but I'm up, it's probably 6 a.m. here in, on the East Coast, so sorry if my voice is groggy. So that's the theory behind it. That's the theory. So then, um, so now I wanna do, I wanna answer one specific question, and then I wanna talk about why. I wanna talk about why, um, why am I saying all this? So the specific question is, again, we're going back to the same thing. Neil, surely playing 1v1 in the backyard with your dad is game-like. Surely playing 1v1 against your brother is game-like. Surely playing 1v1 against anybody is game-like. And I did a whole podcast where I talked about the different categories of training. But playing 1v1, where the only thing you're trying to do is beat the defender and score, I really put that into the category of opposition. It's a, it's a, um, oh God, I can't even remember the name I used, but it's an opposed training exercise. Again, it's a, an opposed training exercise. Let me try to use a crude analogy. It would be like uh, if you were learning how to shoot a, shoot a weapon, you could, go somewhere and shoot at a target. And that is going to have some, that's gonna have a lot of benefits because you're gonna learn the technique of shooting and the neuroplasticity and all that kind of stuff we talked about. And then I can put you on a battlefield environment where you're trying to shoot moving people, hopefully with paint guns or something like that. And you're in a battlefield environment, but they can't shoot back. That is closer to shooting at a target, obviously. And that has some applications to the game, obviously. That's what opposed training is for. But that's not warlike. They can't kill you. It, it does have some decision-making, but it doesn't have the real, the real risk-reward decision-making that applies to a game only on the most extreme in rare circumstances or you have the ball 1v1 and the only thing you got to do is try to score. That happens for a split moment against one defender. Normally there's information before you receive the ball that you have to take in. There's going to be people coming so first of all, when you play 1v1 in the backyard, you're not getting that information before you even receive the ball. So there's a mental map before you receive the ball that you have to use to decide, do I really wanna try to take this guy one-on-one -on -one, or do I wanna just pretend like I'm taking a one-on-one -on -one because I know I'm gonna make a quick pass. So I'm gonna draw on my end, but I have no intention of beating him. And then I'm gonna make a quick pass. There's normally gonna be other defenders in the vicinity somewhere you're gonna have other players in the vicinity somewhere. You're gonna know through pattern recognition that there are other players that you don't see, but you're, you're gonna know they should be streaming into position in a certain place. There's normally gonna be a keeper and that keeper is gonna make a decision. And all of these, def in these defenses, everybody is making choices at milliseconds and there are thousands of things. Fortunately, the brain can handle it. And fortunately it all happens seamlessly but there's thousands of things that need to that can be happening happening 
So it creates that context that we are, um, that you need in order to form the habit that's required to apply in the game. Then there's a level of intensity as well. So what I'm effectively saying is, of course, playing 1v1, if you play 1v1 against someone every day, you, when you get into the game, are going to be better at any 1v1 situation. This is, of course, the case. But if I were writing a curriculum, if someone said to me, Neil, sit down based on your Facebook research, your Google Masters of Science, and your own personal experience, and you had to write a curriculum, um, and the, the objective was to transition into a game-like scenario that involves 1v1, then I would prefer, I would suggest there be a decision-making component. So I can pass it back, I can pass it wide, I can do this, I can do that. There has to be a degree of intensity, obviously, and I use intensity by using timers. You have a certain amount of time to score. I raise my voice to make the pressure higher. There needs to be, again, I'm just talking free, freely, but there needs to be pressure coming from behind. So there's pressure that's coming from behind that a child doesn't necessarily see. Um, there's pressure coming from the side, ideally. There's a teammate that will um, come and support or could be coming to support. All of those things need to be in place in order for that, that 1v1 situation to truly be game-like. And we're gonna get into some practical reasons that um, we talk about, um, practical reasons as well. But that's trying my, I'm trying my best to answer the 1v1 um, uh, question. So now let's get into why, and then I'll circle back to the 1v1 question in a second as well. So why, why, what are the practical reasons why I'm going through all this theory? Why am I saying all this and how may it be um, relevant to you? Well, the first reason I'm saying all this goes back to why I created the system that I created and some of you are created with your children uh, to train them in a way that doesn't overwhelm them. And I created this system that I use. And then when I created that system, I turned it into anytime soccer training. So why did I create this system in the first place? Because when I first started training my sons, I, um, I stressed them out. I got angry. They got upset. Every once in a while, they would cry. I would feel horrible. Go back out there again, got upset, got angry. They get upset, feel horrible. And I knew that this was not sustainable, right? But I wasn't willing to give up, but I knew this approach was not sustainable. And as I reflect on what was the biggest issue I had, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges I had was I was trying to help them learn something, help them form a habit in a way that was inconsistent with how the brain works and functions and how habits are truly formed. So let me say that again. I was trying to get them to learn things and trying to get them to form habits in a way that was inconsistent with how the brain works and inconsistent with how habits are truly formed. What does that mean? What are you talking about, Neil? Well, 
I would see something that happens on Saturday or Sunday during their games. I would have some mental map, mental image of whatever it is I thought they should be doing. Then I would go on the training pitch, try to explain this thing to them, you know, and, and try to get them to behave in a way that I felt would help them next game. Try to get them to see some abstract concept that's in my mind and trying to explain it to them. And these are young kids, especially. And then getting frustrated when they don't understand it. Getting frustrated when they are not putting forth 110% when I haven't, when I haven't introduced opposition. I haven't introduced a level of competition. I haven't introduced a reward. I haven't reduced, introduced negative consequences. All these things that I know now, I didn't introduce, but I was expecting them to behave in a way that was game-like without creating a game-like environment. Fast forward, every time I go on the pitch, not every time, almost every time I go on the pitch now, and I see parents uh, and kids training, I can see that same tension. And I just want to shake them and say, it doesn't work that way. I've been there. I've done that. Of course, I don't. But I want to shake them and say, little Johnny is not going to understand what you're saying because you're trying to explain something that's only in your head and you, don't have, and you haven't created the conditions that, um, that, that are needed for little Johnny to really understand what, what you're trying to say. And the jury is still, I don't know if you're even given the right instruction. So then once I realized that, I took a step back and said, you know, say what I said to myself and what, what I talk about in the podcast, where am I most qualified? Where do I have the greatest advantage to help my child? And let me focus on that. Our sporting relationship blossomed. Oh, I can help my child master these 12 moves. I, I can do that. And then, and then I saw from an intellectual level and experience level, that once he got that neuroplasticity improved, he was able to apply it in the games. The next practical reason is because then for my older son, especially, and, and this all happens sort of, I'm reflecting on it, so it's not so linear, but I saw that his club was excellent at creating a game-like environment with commensurate instruction, commensurate intensity, commensurate discipline, commensurate culture that they expect in the game. I saw they were extremely good at creating drills that drew all of those habits out of my son and forged those habits into my son that I wanted to see in the game. And because I've put him in that environment, I have the peace of mind to sit back and relax and watch, and watch him grow and blossom. And I also have the peace of mind of knowing they're receiving a child that's technical. They're receiving a child that's well-fed. They're receiving a child who had enough sleep. They're receiving a respectful child. Yes, sir. No, sir. They're receiving a child who wants to be there. And they're receiving a child who hopefully, and he'll listen to this and he'll have a view on this, is no longer stressed out by his parents. No, he ain't stressed out by his mom, <laughs> but stressed out by his dad. That's another reason why I'm doing it. And I'm, I'm sharing this information on to you guys as parent trainers 
And now I'm going to virtually turn my attention back to our clubs and our trainers. What I have also seen though, is there are actors in this space, and I don't think they mean any harm by it, who are promoting this notion of creating game-like environments, promoting this notion of creating game-like intensity, but falling short in the execution. And what I have seen is they fall short in the level of intensity. They fall short in engaging in that instruction at that specific moment that the child needs to hear it in that specific context. So in other words, bad habits, if you will, are created because the child is in an environment that looks like a game, feels like a game, smells like a game, Monday through Friday, but is able to get away with doing those things that don't work when the intensity is up, when the expectations is up, when the pressure is up. That same habit that they're doing in training that does give them a positive feedback loop, doesn't end the game. And this is just a little bit of country country common sense um, advice to our parent trainers out there who are discerning, who are watching chat, chat, Uh, watching training, this is some of the things I look at. It's very subjective. You'll have to form your own opinions. You'll you'll know your own training environment. You'll speak to your child as well, especially if they go to different training environments. But this is sort of the um, thing that I start thinking about, that level of intensity. Again, in a developmentally appropriate way. And that level of intensity, that intention of detail doesn't just start once the child gets onto the training pit. So if three children are late, one child rides on time, but they don't have the shoes tied. You know, one child rides at half the practice, half the kids are paying attention, half the kids are not. Many are going through the motions until they get to the scrimmage. See, you know, I can't talk about any particular club. I don't know anyone's like this, but I'm saying if you got all of that going on, it's really difficult then to transform the training environment into the high expectation training environment that you're gonna need to forge those habits that you're gonna need in the the game. So then I go back to my parents and I make a very nuanced point to say, listen, if verbally telling someone something, if verbally giving someone instructions outside of the context that they need to apply those instructions, If that actually worked, I would record myself saying, Neil, eat the celery, not the donuts. Neil, choose the apple, not the cupcakes. And I would just play it on on feedback loop. But the food scientists, they figured this thing out. They said, oh, if I get the smell right, if I get the environment right, if I get the color right, if I get the taste just right, I don't care what you tell yourself, you're gonna have that Twinkie. <laughs> they figured this thing out. So in order to actually change this habit, you'll hear people say, you gotta change your lifestyle. You, you gotta change your lifestyle. And that's rooted in tradition. I don't wanna preach to y'all, but you gotta change your lifestyle. It's not you just telling somebody something. Everything has to change in order for that to become a habit. 
that means, and the reason I'm saying this is because me yelling at my son on the sidelines, do this, do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. Me yelling at him on the sidelines, that's going to give me a, um, a bit of um, endorphins. That's going to make me feel really good because I'm going to see his behavior change instantly. But that doesn't force that habit he needs in order to play that way long term. I had to learn that as well. And I used an example in a previous show. You don't think these professional players got people out there. You don't think James Harden got somebody out there yelling at him, play defense. Tom Brady come to the sidelines, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He got one coach here on his right, one coach on his left, and they all got tablets. They filmed his every minute, every second, and they printed that out and they pointing to him, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do that. They telling him exactly what he needs to do. They're going to tell him exactly what um, the next play is going to be. And they showing him real time in video, two people, two millionaires sitting beside, beside another millionaire, telling that millionaire athlete what they need to do. In the game, on the sidelines, right there. And do you think that millionaire athlete whose life depends on their performance goes out there and does what the coach asks? No, because it's hard. They try, but it's hard. If everybody could do it, all I'd do is come to the sideline. Hey, man, um, next, next play, I want you to go in the back, backfield and tackle Lamar for a loss. It don't work that way. So just stop, relax, and enjoy the game. The brain doesn't work that way. Your child is seeing things you don't see from a perspective you don't have, and it's happening in milliseconds. If telling your child at that moment what to do worked one iota, if it had even the smallest benefit, I would, I would tell you to do it. And I've been guilty of it. The closest I have seen to any benefit whatsoever, and I'm guilty of this, is reminding them, I don't do this anymore. I have been guilty of this. If I had to say it had some benefit, I'm trying to be objective, is reminding them of something we've been working on for six months. That maybe has some minor benefit. We've been working on this thing for six months and I just remind you of what we've been working on for six months, maybe but that's not normally the situation. All right, so moving right along. Now, again, I'm the parent trainer, so I'm in the middle. I'm gonna pivot to my private trainers. Remember, part of I'm also the head of the Consumer Protection Agency. So if I'm a private trainer and I'm training kids, I'm and I, once I understand the club environment they're in, I'm really trying to, supplement those things that they're not getting in the training environment. Now, I know that everybody says, yeah, that's exactly what I do. That, that's, that's right, that's what you're supposed to do as a private trainer. But there's a temptation there for the private training sessions to look what they consider to be, at least on the surface, game realistic. And I argue 
It's possible, but it's really difficult to create quote unquote game realistic scenarios if you don't have game realistic conditions. So when I train people's kids, I actually spend a lot of time working on those non game realistic uh, drills that I know they're not getting enough of because going back to the beginning, I don't think either one is intrinsically better or worse. This is not particularly sexy to many parents. They wanna see da-da this, da-da-da. They wanna see a show, they wanna be entertained. And so we have to resist the temptation at times of doing something that's quasi-game realistic when the child might need some time to focus on that technique. And it may look basic to someone who doesn't, who's not focused on the details, but it will serve that child um, better in the long run. So that's my only admonishment there. And then um, the final thing on this is we, we've gotten into the weeds, right? We've gotten into the weeds of theory. 99% of the things that you do in terms of just helping your child, they're gonna work, right? If you wanna tell your child to look up, knock yourself out, it ain't gonna hurt them. Tell them to uh, check their shoulder when they dribble, uh, check their shoulder when they receive the ball, it's not gonna hurt them at all. My, in conclusion, I'm pleading with my parent trainers, however, to really, really think about um, not stressing your child out and have the peace of mind and the intellectual backing to know that if you just have them pass the ball to you and work on that first touch, if you have them dribble through some cones, you have them doing some figure eight stuff, a lot of those individual drills actually necessitate what would be perceived to be a bad habit in a game context, right? It's practical to look down if you dribble through cones. Why in the world would I walk through a landmine and not look at the ground? This is a very practical thing. So I don't need them to do something that's not practical in it if I've created it and if I've created a situation where it's practical to look down. So I guess I'm rambling to say, I don't want you to feel like you can hurt them by giving instructions. Of course not, that's not what I'm advocating. Just understand that habit formation and learning doesn't work so neatly like that. And I, I, I'm not qualified to explain exactly how it works, but I'm sharing with you what doesn't work. Me seeing my son do something on the weekend and then go and try to recreate that with just me and him in the backyard and yell at him because he doesn't see what I'm trying to tell him and then yelling at him because he doesn't show the level of intensity I'm expecting, even though he doesn't even know what the heck I'm talking about. That don't work. I know that, and I see that all the time. And that's why I created Anytime Soccer Training to let the technology and the algorithm do a lot of the dirty work, and I just sit back and relax. And then that's why I put them in a club environment to drink that pulls this stuff out of them, and I just sit back and enjoy the game. And I know this is a 10, 15-year process, I'm not expecting messy every time I uh, or any yes of decision making when I see my nine-year-old play. I know it's a process. I enjoy it. I feel the same emotions you do. I just take a deep breath. And if it's that important to me, then I'll work with it. I'll do work with him on that stuff in the backyard. I just don't mm, deliver it to him in this in this context. If I want him to switch the field and I work on switching the field drills, but I don't say, I don't give it to them in this context because I need the club to do it. And there's some caveats that I'll add um, later on when your club is not doing those things 
and things you have to do. So for example, I, you know, I've, I've, I've coached my kids. I've literally signed them up for rec programs and coached them because I wanted to give them some of these lessons in a context that will work. So there are things you have to do for your own personal situation. So this is not a personal recommendation. This is just food for thought. All right, guys, thanks for listening. This is Neil Crawford, founder of Anytime Soccer Training. Check out Anytime Dash Soccer. We got some more interviews coming your way uh, to learn more about what we do. And let's get better together.